hello and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and I am your host. I'm so glad that you're joining us this week. I have some big news. So the Girl Tries Life podcast is now officially a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. So if you go to atb.com forward slash listen, you can find out what ATB can do for you. So that's a if you go to that website, that's where you can do a live chat or you can send them a note and you can find out how ATB can actually help you with your financial and banking needs. And here's the other fun thing about the Alberta Podcast Network is the hosts and the producers are all from Alberta, but the topics are wide ranging. And I just want to give a quick shout out to a podcast that is hosted by a friend of mine, Vanda, and that would be the Tight Ends Podcast. So the Tight Ends Podcast is a podcast where they don't know much about football, but they do know a tight end when they see one. And according to Vanda, I'm not sure how true this is, but she says she wants to have me as a guest host on the show one day. So I'm really pleased to join her. And I have told her that we should talk about synchronized swimming as I used to be a synchronized swimmer back in the day. We'll see if she takes me up on that one. So last time on the podcast, we were joined by Bridget Schulte, and she was the author of Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When Nobody Has the Time. So we talked overwhelm. We talk about how people are too busy. They've got too much stress. And so I actually feel that today's topic, which is all about tiny houses, <laughs> is a really great fit in with that. So my guest today is Jenna Spassard, who is the blogger and tiny home owner behind tinyhousegiantjourney.com. Fear not, we will link to that in the show notes. But a few years ago, Jenna gave up her career in Hollywood and decided to build a tiny home. And she now lives in that tiny home and it has allowed her the opportunity to travel the world and completely change her lifestyle. She's happier than she ever was before. She's gotten an opportunity to do things she would never have been able to do or afford otherwise. And her website is just an absolute haven for people who want to see what different kinds of tiny homes can look like, who want to build their own tiny home, who want some advice on the process. She's really created this fantastic community. And if you go to the show notes at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 4141, there you can see a YouTube video of Jenna's own, a tour of Jenna's tiny home. And it is absolutely incredible. You will be shocked at how much you can fit in a tiny home if it's designed well. So Jenna and I talk about why she decided to make this leap to a tiny home, the kind of process behind building it, what she learned along the way. And she also interviews other tiny house owners. So I asked her some questions, especially for families and couples living in tiny homes, how they get around certain certain issues in their lives. So it was definitely a fantastic interview. I had such a blast with Jenna and I hope you enjoy the interview. Well, thanks so much, Jennifer, for joining us on the podcast. We're really pleased to have you. Thanks for having me. So I'm hoping that you can ground us a little bit in what your life was like pre-tiny house. So before I decided to build a tiny house and totally change my life, I was working in uh, Los Angeles at a movie studio. And I had worked my way up the ladder. I was I had a pretty good job. I was working a lot of hours and I was on my way to having um, my quote unquote dream job or the job that I always thought I wanted uh, since I was a little girl. But um, the reality was after getting a master's degree and working out in L.A. for six years, I had become 
disillusioned with the whole thing and uh, realized that it wasn't actually for me. And so I was in the, a pickle because I was going, well, I've worked so hard and I'm in so much debt. And I felt stuck because I had an apartment that I was paying rent and, you know, the amount I was getting paid was barely making it. I was, I was living paycheck to paycheck. And so I felt stuck because I knew I would never be able to afford a home out in L.A. And I was working towards a job that I didn't even want. And so I decided basically to make a big change and sort of give up on the thing I'd been working towards my entire life and try something new. My passion was really in writing. I wanted to go out to Hollywood to be a screenwriter. So I sort of changed direction slightly and decided to use my writing online instead, which is where the market was going anyway. So I started a blog and I decided to downsize as well because it made sense. I couldn't really afford to have a house, especially if I was going to quit my job, which is what I ended up doing. So I decided to downsize. I came across the tiny house movement. And it seemed like the perfect idea for me. And my whole plan was to take a year off of work and to travel around with the tiny house because it's on wheels and do a blog about it, about people living alternative lifestyles, about going after their dreams and about not you know, sticking with the corporate life just because they feel like they have to. Yeah. And you talk on your blog as well about how you wanted that freedom to travel more. Is that like, is travel something that you grew up doing or where did the passion stem from? You know, it's funny. I, I didn't really grow up traveling outside of the United States hardly at all, but, um, I did do a lot of road trips with my family and I've always been passionate about travel or sort of thought it was something glamorous that I wanted to do. I didn't really travel outside of the U.S. until I went to school. I decided to get my graduate degree abroad. So I traveled to Australia to do that and I lived there for a year. After that, I was hooked because I just loved it so much and I you know, cherished the couple months that I had at the end of this end of the year to backpack around Australia. And so after that, I've been consistently traveling to at least three to five new countries a year. And now since I've, I've been doing that for almost a decade, I've decided my, my goal is to see them all before I die. So when I went back to Los Angeles and continued to work in the industry, and when I decided to downsize to a tiny house, it made sense that I, I, put it on wheels. <laughs> and that was one reason why I was interested in the tiny house movement, because it gave me the mobility factor. Of course, you can't really take it outside of the country, except for maybe Canada, which I did do. But just the fact that I could live a nomadic life and sort of not have roots was appealing to me. Yeah. Okay, so I know a lot of people that know about the tiny house movement or minimalism, and they say that it sounds fantastic. But there's a huge leap between the idea of it and building one. So how did that leap happen? How did you make that decision? And like, you didn't have a background in no. construction? Not at all. I mean, the most construction I had ever done is maybe hanging a shelf on the wall, yeah. which yeah, is I probably did that very poorly, in fact. So it was really a decision made based on finances, because buying one over building one is so much more expensive. So it seemed also like I was I was reading about it online that it was doable. I, I heard people saying that, you know, they didn't have any experience and they were able to do it. So I thought, well, 
maybe I could. And I was also doing this whole project at the time with my uh, boyfriend who was also interested in leaving Los Angeles and starting a new career. And he had a little bit more construction skills than I did, but not, not much either. So it ended up taking us a year to build the tiny house, which was a lot longer than we expected. <laughs> we thought it would only take three months. We took a couple build workshops. We bought a DVD that was supposed to explain how to do it. We read a lot. We went to a lot of YouTube channels and, you know, basically learned as we went and learned from trial and error. We made a lot of mistakes and then had to fix it and go back. And so, but it really made the the project challenging, but also rewarding at the same time, because now I have these skills that I can keep with me the rest of my life. And you sort of get the uh, the drive after you've learned those skills to use them. So I, I constantly find little projects now that I can work on, like building a porch or building um, a woodshed for my firewood or creating a skirt for my tiny house, you know, just little things that en- enhance the, my life now that I never would have been able to do before. Yeah. What was the hardest part of building it? Oh, gosh. I mean, there were a lot of um, decisions to be made, I always say is probably the hardest part. And because it's so tiny, it's kind of funny, you, you, you think these decisions must be small decisions, you know, but because it's so tiny, they're really big decisions, like every little thing you put inside that house matters, and it needs to have a function or it needs to be beautiful um, because you're only going to have one of those things and it's going to take up space. So it really needs to be the best. So every single item that is in my tiny house had to be researched and had to be tried. And there was just a lot that went into making those decisions before you finally pull the plug and say, yep, that is the water heater I want. Or yes, that is the toilet I want. Or I want to use this wood for the countertops because you only get the in my opinion, you only got the one chance to do it because after that we were going to be on the road. We were constantly going to be moving around and to replace something like that just wasn't an option. Yeah. And financially, you know, you can really get the nicest stuff when you're building a tiny house, which is kind of an interesting idea. In a big house, you really have to think, oh gosh, hardwood floors in my 2000 square foot house, which which kind do I want to use? And you have to calculate like how much is it going to cost if I get the nicest hardwood floors versus the you know, the, the cheapest. And in a tiny house, it doesn't matter so much because you're only talking about 135 square feet. So you can really get the nicest and the nicest versus the cheapest is only maybe a hundred dollar difference. So you end up doing that a lot, like going for the best and the highest quality throughout your entire house. So really these little houses on wheels, they end up being like show models for the nicest quality most quality materials and it's kind of funny I think to to have like these really nice tiny houses going down the road they're stunning and but it's it strikes me what you were saying about having to make all these decisions because I was watching your tour video and your countertop like having to hollow it out so that it didn't weigh down the house as much like you know that's a decision you don't think about in a traditional home Yeah, so building a tiny house, I think, um, has a lot of the qualities of a traditional home, but more because you have to think about it going down the road, and so weight comes into the factoring, and also um, it's going to be put under like hurricane force winds anytime you're going down the road at 60 miles per hour, and rain and hail, and so it really has to be able to withstand earthquakes and 
and all sorts of different climates too, because if you're gonna be taking it all over the United States at different elevations, you gotta think about that as well. Whereas if you're building a house on foundation, you only think about the climate that it's going to be in. And it really puts another factor to the engineering and, and the design. Yeah. Were you someone that had a lot of stuff before? You know, because I had gone to school in Australia, I had already downsized once. I went to Australia with just a backpack. But in the six years after I came back, I had accumulated quite a bit of stuff. I mean, I had an apartment. It was full of furniture. I had clothes, um, shoes. <laughs> you know, I, I I had accumulated quite a bit of, of things. And it was a bit of a challenge to downsize again. I had, as an adult, become... Uh, attached to some of those items. And it was hard for me to let go of them, especially items that I couldn't, I wanted to bring with me into the tiny house, but couldn't like my piano. <laughs> I couldn't bring my piano into the tiny house. But I had started taking lessons. And I, you know, was a couple years into taking piano lessons as an adult. And I really wanted to continue to do that. But that was not something that fit into the tiny house lifestyle. So it's one thing that I had to give up. And that was probably the hardest thing for me to downsize. The rest, furniture and clothes, yes, but the furniture and the clothes that I have now inside the tiny house means so much more to me than the furniture that I had in my larger apartment that I would have a harder time now getting rid of the very few things that I have than I had getting rid of the hundreds of things that I had before. Yeah. And so you've interviewed tiny home owners from all over the world. Well, all over North America? And Yeah. What? Some in France. I went over to Europe a little bit as well. And, oh, and did cool. There, but. Is there like, are there commonalities? Like, were they all looking for a different lifestyle or, or is every story a little bit different? You know, I think that I could answer that in two different ways. There, there are commonality, commonalities for sure between people who choose to live an alternative lifestyle. You have to be that kind of person who's willing to be questioned all the time about your lifestyle. And you have to sort of be that kind of person that doesn't care so much about what other people think or is willing to take risks and go outside of the lines, you know, not color within the lines. So I think that is definitely a common feeling between everybody in the tiny house movement. Also, everybody is completely different at the same time because every story is different. Every tiny house is different. I often think it's funny that tiny houses reflect their owners and you'll never see any two alike because they're the opposite of cookie cutter houses. They are made and personalized for that person. And people go tiny for a variety of reasons. Some people go tiny for financial reasons. Some people go tiny because they want to travel around in a unique RV. Some people go tiny because they like the idea of engineering something small and creating all these space savers. You know, some people are really attracted to that idea of getting the most out of your space and the challenge that comes with designing a tiny house. And environmental reasons is another big reason why some people go tiny. They want to live off the grid and they want to live in a green lifestyle. So really everybody has a different story. And I think I fall into a lot of those categories, but I'm sort of like a jack of all trades when it comes to why I went tiny. It's it's a little from all those, I take a little from all those boxes. I, I, I like the financial freedom. I like the freedom for mobility. I like the environmental aspects. So I really like the space saver design and the creativity that comes with design. So I think that uh, 
everyone's different and everyone's the same. (laughs) I don't know. Well, and you've also met quite a few families that are doing this as well, right? Yeah. So people think it's, you know, crazy enough that I live in 165 square feet, but there are families. I, I recently did a video on a family of five living in less than, I think it was less than 300 square feet. And they also had a dog in there as well. So five people, a dog in less than 300 square feet, which is pretty incredible. And they make it work and they have some really creative ideas in there. And uh, people are just loving that video because they think, wow, how do you do that? You know, the lifestyle aspect of being able to do that in a, as a family. And I think that opening people's minds to the idea that you don't need to have all this space in between uh, you and the people you love and, you know, maybe it, it's a different way of living, but it could possibly be better for that particular family. Yeah. Okay. Here's the question that I have about that. I'm just so curious. How do couples, okay. How do couples have sex if their kids are also in the tiny home? You know, I asked that question to the same couple, a family of five. So they have three kids and they have their kids' bedroom. The three children share a bedroom on the other side of the tiny house. Not that that's a lot of space, but it's on the furthest away they possibly could be. And so I asked that same question, like, how do you have adult time yep. in a tiny house? And they shared. They, they're very open people. And they said, well, we just turn on the washer and dryer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's loud and it shakes the house a tiny bit. And yeah, that's what they do. So Okay, it's sort of, that makes yeah. more sense. <laughs> That makes so much more sense because it was, I don't know, that's the first question that popped in my mind. They said that's the most common question that they get, so I don't think they have a problem sharing. It's just, it's sort of funny to me. I think the the bottom line is you get creative. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. So your tiny home is currently parked. What does... What does work look like from you now, now that, like, is writing the full-time gig? Yeah, so... Like I had said, I had only planned on doing this for a year and then sort of resetting and trying to figure out what to do next. And what ended up happening was my my blog sort of took off and uh, it became sort of a a popular how-to guide for people who wanted to go tiny but also redefine their life. And so I've just continued to do that for now three years. I actually just celebrated my three-year anniversary in a tiny house. And because I have the financial freedom, I don't have a mortgage, I barely have any utility costs. I'm able to live off of less money. So I do freelance writing for different online publications. I do social media managing as well. So I, I, for companies and brands, I'll do like their Instagram and their Facebooking. So I do that part time. And I also work on my own blog and my own YouTube channel. And that is my main source of income. Altogether, I'm not making as much as I was working in the movie studio four years ago, but I am, I have a lot more freedom. I have a lot less debt and I don't work as many hours, so I'm happier. Yeah. It strikes me that there are so many, there's so many opportunities, whether you're in a tiny home or a traditional home to try out a different kind of career. Like it's like your career is very much online and could be done from different places around the world. And maybe it's because of the economy or whatnot, but people are really starting to explore those options. Yeah, it's it's a new day and age. You can really work from anywhere, and I often do. So like I said, I, I travel to three to five new countries a year, 
and I don't take off work. I'm, I'm still blogging. I'm still managing social media accounts when I'm overseas. I just make sure I find an internet connection once or twice a day and I work for an hour or two. And that's sort of my life when I'm backpacking. And I think that it's wonderful that people can do that nowadays. Yeah. So what does the tiny home lifestyle mean to you? Oh, that is such a hard question to answer. I think it, it means freedom and independence. And that would be the broadest sense. It means so much to me, though. And I could go into details. I could probably write a book about it. In fact, I've written a blog's worth of yeah. <laughs> posts about it. But um, it, it definitely means something different to everybody. And to me, it means being able to go after what you really want in life and to think about space differently and the things that we surround ourselves with and what's really important in life. And to sort of think outside the box and in this case, think outside the house. Like, it, do you have to have the quote unquote American dream of, you know, the two car garage, the 2,600 square foot house? And, and is it something that you're willing to work for the rest of your life? And if it's not, then maybe rethink it and think how else you can live your life and, and live a happier life. And, uh, you know, if it is what you want, then go for it. Go for your, your big house. I, I have no problem with that. But I see people all the time living in big houses and, and hating their jobs. And, and I'm wondering, why? Why are you doing this? You know, you don't have to. Society tells you you're supposed to have this sort of prestigious house, and, and that's going to make you feel happy and, and fulfilled. But maybe there's another way, even if even if you go from a 26 hundred square foot house to a, a 1600 square foot house, you could live a more flexible and, and free lifestyle and maybe go after something that you're really passionate about. And I just question people all the time and, and ask them to really think, you know, while you still have the opportunity to make a change, maybe you should. Yeah. Has it taught you anything about yourself? Mm, definitely. I, I don't need as much now. That is for sure. When you you know, I, I think the ability to be happy is co it goes in line with your ability to be satisfied. So if you can be satisfied in 165 square feet, then you can be happy a lot easier. So I find happiness now in little things, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I don't need things to make me feel happy anymore. I, I, I am more enlightened by experiences. And when I do have something that I bring into my home, I really cherish it. And so everything in my house, I, I love, I cherish, I have a story behind it. And I think that it's really taught me a lot about myself as well. When you live without, it makes you, it, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. It challenges, challenges you at times, like maybe, oh, I have to go to the laundromat or I don't have a lawnmower, so I need to borrow one from somebody or whatever it is, you know, it puts you out of your comfort zone. You're not, you don't have a home gym. You have to go to the gym, you know, it, it makes you go out and be more social and it makes you learn a little bit more about yourself and pushes you a little bit and challenges you. And I think that that's a really educational experience and and also keep in mind that there are plenty of people in the world living small or living without and even more so than we do here. I think it's just an American thing where we live large. Well, maybe not just American, but definitely an American thing that we think we need all these things. And, and it's odd for me to live in 165 square feet. But in a lot of different countries, it's not odd at all. And 
And so we have to keep that in mind as well, that, you know, this is what majority of people in the world are, are living like, and in fact, living with a lot less. Yeah. But I've also, I was reading a book recently where they were talking about the Danish culture and how just through like in Copenhagen, just the size of the city or whatnot, like apartments are smaller. And like you're saying, people do, they have less stuff, but they have stuff that they value and they appreciate and that they're, they have less stress because they've got less stuff, less to clean, less to worry about, you know, more free time as a result and leisure. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, sometimes I, I visit my boyfriend in Seattle. He has a uh, 500 square foot mansion and um, I get overwhelmed sometimes with uh, the stuff inside and the amount how easily it gets dirty and how much time it takes to clean (laughs) and so it's hard for me now to think about having a 2,000 square foot apartment that I had in Los Angeles and how how could I have cared for that and taken care of it all the time and made sure it was clean and and maintained it I just that's an overwhelming thought to me Um, it takes up so much time in your life so yeah, it's definitely a less stress lifestyle. When you have less, it takes up less space in your mind and in your life and less time. And so there are the benefits of that as well. Yeah. Does your tiny house have a junk drawer? It does. It really? Okay. <laughs> you know, what's funny is um, it's a kind of an ongoing joke. It's like you can't no matter what space size house you have, there's always going to be a catch-all somewhere for just stuff that doesn't belong in, in some certain spot, you know? So, like, pens and, and postcards and, like, you know, scotch tape and random things that you're like, I don't really – it goes in the junk drawer, the miscellaneous drawer. So, yeah, I do have a junk drawer. Yeah. Now, I have to ask, how, what was your family's reaction to the tiny house, mm. like, wanting to do this, and, and what is it now? Yeah, well, you know, they've always supported me in anything I wanted to do. And I was going to film school already. So they already knew I was sort of like a hopeless artist. <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to work in Hollywood. So they kind of knew I was going to be these this, you know, traveling artist sort of child of theirs. But they were really proud of me when I had gotten to the point where I was in Hollywood, where I was working at that movie studio. And when I told them I was going to quit, and build a tiny house and sort of live like a a gypsy. My mother was completely on board because she's sort of a hippie at heart. (laughs) My father, though, who's a very pragmatic individual, he's an engineer, and he's always lived the American dream lifestyle. You know, he has the the two-car garage and the two kids and the nine-to-five job and the pension and all that. He sort of was questioning why I would do something like that after how hard I had worked to get to the point I was at. But he's a very loving man. And it didn't take long before he was coming over with a hammer and helping me build. So he's always going to support me no matter what I do. And he has actually come on board on some trips that I've taken abroad. Like recently, he hiked the Inca Trail with me in Peru. So we're very close. And he is uh, supportive of my adventurous (laughs) personality. Yeah, it's funny on the travel. I a couple years ago did like a three month leave of absence from work and backpack Southeast Asia with my husband. And I remember talking to coworkers and them saying like, I wish I could do that. I don't know how you do it. And it was one of those, you prioritize what's important to you. You find the money for what's important or you spend it in different areas. And like tiny living has allowed you to have this kind of like to be able to travel three times a year is most people's dream. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, people question all the time how I'm able to afford it. And what I find is it's mostly from people who've never traveled abroad. And the thing is, is, you know, like Southeast Asia is a great example. It, it might, the plane ticket might seem like a hefty ticket price, but once you get there, it's, it's very affordable and it's, it's really affordable to travel for a long period of time. Like three weeks is a long time or three months. You said, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a long time to be over in Southeast Asia, but you probably spent less while you were there than you would if you were at home. Yep. And uh, <laughs> so it's sort of, it's not as crazy as it might seem. And you, once you've done it once, like my first trip to Australia, and once you figure out, oh, wow, this is totally feasible, I think you become addicted. And uh, it's a lot easier to imagine doing it all the time. Well, and I think so many of us have seen our parents or our grandparents who had that, you know, I'll do all these things when I retire. And with the rising house, like housing costs and inflation and the way that, like I find so many people, their salaries do not pay for what they did when our parents were, you know, when when we were younger and our parents were maybe one income and stay at home parents. So it's almost more important to make the time to do those things now as opposed to when you retire. Absolutely. And I want to do these things when I, when I'm young, um, I want to be able to hike up a volcano and, you know, do the more rugged sort of lifestyle, uh, abroad. So, you know, I'll, I'll go to the Bahamas and sit uh, on the beach when I'm old and retired, but I don't, uh, right now I want to be able to sort of do the more rough travel. So I have to do it while I'm young. Yeah. So your blog is a fantastic resource for anyone who's wanting the ins and outs of tiny house living. But if you were talking to someone who was considering it, are there certain questions that you'd have them ask themselves before making the tiny house leap? I think you need to question everything about what you want to put in your design. A lot of people think, I need a dishwasher, I need a washing machine. They want to go tiny, but they want all their creature comforts as well. And I think you really need to question that because it's going to take up a lot of space in your home and clutter is the enemy of tiny house living. So you really do not want to clutter your space more than anything else. Think about laundry mats. Think about going to the gym instead of having the equipment inside your house. Washing the dishes by hand is not something new. You know, it's something we do all the time. So think about whether you're willing to do that as well. And what are you willing to give up? And is it worth it? I also always tell people they should try out the lifestyle to see if, if they can actually do it. <laughs> There's a lot of tiny house hotels now and tiny house rentals around the United States. So you could go spend a weekend or up uh, even a week or as long as you possibly can living in a tiny house. See what works for you in that space. See what doesn't. Bring your husband, bring your dog, whatever you're going to you know, whoever you're going to live with in that space so they can experience it too. And you can experience living in it together and see if you're going to kill each other or if this is really going to work out. So I definitely suggest that to anyone who's thinking about going tiny. Yeah, I've seen a lot of tiny homes on Airbnb, which is fantastic. Yeah, people just uh, love the idea. And I actually have my tiny house up on not Airbnb, but another website for renting when I'm not there because I travel abroad for usually up to three months of the year. And I also visit my boyfriend in Seattle quite a bit. So it's empty a lot of the time. And recently, actually just this month, I decided when I'm away, I am going to share it with other people. So it's a great way for people to try out the lifestyle. And it's also a great way for me to make extra income for more travels. <laughs> 
Well, that's amazing. If you want to send me the link, because I know so many people love this particular look of your tiny home. <laughs> if you want to yeah. send me the link, we can include it in the show notes so people can can try it out. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Did you try tiny home living before you built it? I didn't have a chance to try out a tiny house before I built mine because yeah. there just wasn't any available at the time. You know, it was four years ago and there were tiny houses out there, but there wasn't a million companies making them. And I could only maybe name a handful of people who were actually living in a tiny house and trying the tiny house lifestyle. Now I can name hundreds. And so I really was at kind of at the beginning of the movement. And um, there, I didn't even see a tiny house in person until I was halfway through my build. And I had to drive two and a half hours to go see one. Yeah. And so I really didn't have the opportunity that people have now. And so that's why I really suggest it. Yeah, that's nuts. So where's next on your travel list? I'm actually going to Colombia in November. And I haven't, I've booked that one. And then I'm thinking maybe China or somewhere in Asia in December or January, but I haven't booked yet. So I'm not sure. Yeah, just the, the flexibility. That's a huge aha moment yeah. for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of first world countries. So next on my list is to try to do more third world, maybe head over to Africa next year. That's the only continent, well, aside from Antarctica, that I haven't been to. So I definitely need to get over there. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely link to uh, to the blog and the travels uh, portion as well. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up with the five questions that I ask all of our interviewees. Is there a particular thing or project that gets you really fired up in a good way? Hmm. I mean, travel gets me fired up. Any sort of travel, any sort of travel journalism that I can go overseas and experience something and meet new people and educate myself with the culture, the food, the lifestyle that's going on over there. That's sort of what fires me up and seeing people doing something different as well fires me up. So like earth bag building is something that I've come across recently and sort of become obsessed with. What's that? And earth bag building. So like creating uh, like small domes out of earth bags. It's just another type of like eco-friendly building material, like earth ships is another one. So you can really go down the rabbit hole with all of this uh, alternative lifestyle stuff and green building. And so I'm considering taking a workshop and learning how to build a, like a dome out of earth bags. And so I've been reading a lot about it. It's sort of like I'm, I'm starting all over and doing another tiny house project. But I'd love to have tiny houses basically in every country. I won't, I won't ever have that. But a few others would be nice in certain locations around the world. And so I'd like them to all be different. I'd like them to all be different. And so one thing is uh, maybe my next tiny house will be made out of earth bags. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome because people think of having their like vacation cottage or their whatnot and you have your you'll have your vacation tiny home. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's awesome. What's the most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years? I'm actually reading a really inspiring book right now. But to answer your question, probably The Power of Now is the most inspiring book I've read in the last couple of years. I just think that being present is an important thing that uh, we're not doing enough in the society. But the the book I'm reading right now, I, I really like. I'm only halfway through it, but it's called The $100 Startup. Actually, it's right yeah. here. Make, make sure I get that right. Yeah, The $100 Startup. And it's written by... Um, I, Chris Gillibo? Yes, yeah, yeah. someone who lives in Portland, 
and he has traveled to every country in the world, so he's kind of my hero, and he's in his mid-30s, and he sort of talks about a lot of the stuff I talk about, which is how can you redefine your life, and you don't need a lot of money to do it, and how can you go after your passions, and so it's really inspiring to me, and even though I'm already living that lifestyle, it's making me think a little bit more about it. And so I, I recommend that book. Yeah. And he also, if I'm thinking of the right book, he does a lot of case kind of case studies or sharing people's stories of how they've done their hundred dollar startups in that story. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot like what I do on my YouTube channel showing different people living in alternative lifestyles. He's doing it in a book and talking about how people have started their businesses and been successful for only a hundred dollars. So I think that's really cool. And maybe one day I'll get to meet him and talk about his travels. I'd love to just pick his brain. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Okay, so it's a it's a quote from Gandhi. And I'm sure a lot of people have already heard it, but it's live simply so others may simply live. I I love that quote. I also like not all those who wander are lost. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a Tolkien quote. So Both of those quotes sort of uh, encapsulate my passion. The Live Simply quote from Gandhi is sort of my mantra for living a simple life and trying not to overcrowd my life. And the Not All Those Who Wander Are Lost is sort of my passion for travel. And so, yeah, I, uh, I like both of those. Yeah. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? To not care about what others think so much and that you really can make your own path in life. And I'm not really sure that I was ever told that, but it's something I've learned um, from a variety of people and from being inspired by other people. And so it's something that I try to remind myself on a daily basis because it is difficult not to get caught up in society standards and what others think of you, especially when you're being questioned all the time. But I, I try to remind myself that It doesn't matter. And whatever I think is what's most important in my life. And uh, that's the way I'm going to continue to live. Yeah. Okay. So final question, Jenna, what does it mean to you to live your best life? I think when you're talking about living your best life, for me, it's is living a long life, if you can, and living a happy life. So I often tell this story about when I make a wish. So you get a lot of opportunities in your life to make make wishes, like when you blow out your birthday candles or throw a penny into a well or see a shooting star. Or I even make a wish when the clock turns 11-11 every day if I, happen to, if I happen to see it. So you get a lot of opportunities like that. And whenever I make a wish, I've been doing this my entire life, even since ever since I can remember, even since I was a little girl. And that is that I wish to live a long and happy life. And so nothing else really matters. You know, as long as you find your version of happiness, that's all that really matters. So try to think of the big picture and, you know, keep on keeping on and and live that long and happy life. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So Jenna was a really interesting interview. I've definitely had this 
curiosity with tiny homes for quite some time. So it was great to be able to actually interview someone who's gone through the whole process of designing, building, owning, and traveling with one. I think her her journey and her experience is absolutely phenomenal. And if you want to read more about about her, about tiny houses or her travel blogging, I highly recommend you check out tinyhousegiantjourney.com. Now, the other thing that we recommended, she talked about the $100 startup, and that is available on Audible. If you want a free 30-day trial of Audible, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life, and you'll get that free 30-day trial. (laughs) Now, we've talked about this before. I'm a huge fan of Audible, huge fan of audiobooks. It has changed how much I am able to read in a given year. I actually recently just achieved my goal of 60 books in 2017, and it is only November 9th, so I am so, so proud of that. Now, again, I just want to let you know that this podcast is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. I am so, so proud to be a member of this network, and I look forward to discovering many of the podcasts within it. If you want to find a really incredible variety of podcasts, on all sorts of different topics, check out albertapodcastnetwork.com, which is powered by ATB. Have a fantastic time, guys. And just to let you know, next time on the podcast, we're going to be joined by my good friend, Jocelyn Daw. So Jocelyn has had a very varied career, both in nonprofit, in corporate, and in government. And now she is a consultant with her own firm, advising corporations and nonprofits on how to build better partnerships and how to make the most of their corporate social responsibility or social investment portfolios. But we also talk about uh, how she sort of decided that she was going to start this career on her own and how she has had such big jobs and managed to, you know, have such a fantastic family and do all the things that she's wanted to do with her lives. Jocelyn is one of those people where, you know, if I think of having it all, or at least <laughs> if I think of having it all, I think of Jocelyn. She's got that career. She's got a great family. She's got a great marriage. She travels. She has the kind of life that I aspire to have one day. And she's healthy, so it's all fantastic. She is a phenomenal interview, and that will be coming up on Thursday, November 23rd. Until then, have a fantastic day and thanks for joining us on the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. Thanks.